today on the Coral Ridge Hour. When a teacher or professor says there are no absolutes, he is also saying there is no God. My subject as stated is absolutes in a relativistic age. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit will be our illuminator tonight, that you will bring light where there is darkness and truth where there is falsehood, and that you will speak through your servant graciously and condescendingly and use him for your glory. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Dr. Alan Bloom, professor of social thought at the University of Chicago and former professor at Yale University, a school located around here somewhere, I'm told, is the author of a very big book of the past five years, The Closing of the American Mind. And interestingly, in that book, he says, in the very first sentence of the first paragraph of the first chapter, he says this, there is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. There are no absolutes. Now Mark Twain said, the problem with most people is not what they don't know, but what they know for certain that isn't true. And if you were to ask a high school graduate how it is that there are no absolutes, how it is that everything is relative and all truth is relative, he will either look at you blankly and not have the faintest idea why that is so, other than that he has been told it is so, or he may, if he is uh, somewhat uh, more erudite, tell you, haven't you ever heard of Einstein? Where have you been for the past 50 years? Haven't you ever read the theory of relativity? Don't you know that we live in a relativistic universe and that everything is relative? And that settles the matter. Einstein said it, and it must be so. No, he didn't. This is what he said. Relativity applies to the realm of physics, not ethics. Ooh. So, how is it that Einstein's theory has been transported into every other discipline and we have ended up in America today with almost a total moral relativism which somehow has been deduced 
from Einstein's theory of relativity, which has absolutely nothing whatever to do with ethics or with morals. Now, sometimes students don't realize that when a teacher or a professor says there are no absolutes, you need to understand what he is saying. He is also saying there is no God. Because, because you see, God is the ultimate absolute. He is absolutely supreme. He is absolutely infinite in his power and his wisdom and his knowledge and everything, all of his attributes. God is the ultimate absolute, and what he says is the ultimate and absolute truth. And uh, therefore, keep in mind that when anyone says there are no absolutes, they are simply giving you a veiled and cloaked atheism. And maybe they don't wish to come out and state it, but that is exactly what they are doing under the cover of no absolutes. Now, we, I think, realize, I trust we all do, that science and religion operate in very, from very opposite points of origin. Science began with practically no knowledge and has been growing over the centuries to the place where we are now. This same thing is true of philosophy. Man's philosophy, which officially began with Thales and was an attempt by reason to understand without revelation from God the meaning and significance of all life. And from Thales to Kant, there was this grand endeavor uh, to try to understand the meaning of life and the meaning of the world that we live in. And unfortunately, it ended in failure. And uh, since that time today, all of our philosophies have degenerated into irrationalism, as man has discovered that apart from revelation, he cannot find the meaning or significance of life. So both science and philosophy began with very little and have grown to this point uh, however successfully. However, religion, at least the Christian religion, and I speak, of course, as a Christian minister, begins with the revelation of God given to us in his word, and that began with perfection. It's not, re Christianity is not man's effort to try to find God. It is God's revelation of himself to man. So one begins at zero and tries to work its way up. The other one begins at 100%. And uh, unfortunately, too often, we distort that through the years. But they operate on a very, very different kind of principle. People will say that things are changing today, and that's certainly true. And uh, what was true 10 years ago may not be true today. That's true in science. That's true in the mores of people. It's not true with God. God is immutable, unchangeable. He never changes. His truth changes not. That does not change. 
and it doesn't matter if everyone in the world joins hands and they vote unanimously that uh, his truth is false, it still remains true. And it remains true whether I believe in it or I don't believe in it. Whether you accept it or you reject it does not alter the fact that it does exist. Not only is it true that when a person says there are no absolutes, are they saying that there is no God, they're also saying that there is no Word of God, that the Scriptures are not the Word of God. Now, the Bible says over and over again, Jesus said of the Word, Thy Word is truth, and that uh, heaven and earth shall pass away, but one jot or one tittle of the law shall in no wise pass away till all be fulfilled. The Bible says that it is truth. It is truth revealed from God. Therefore, it is absolutely true. When God's Word says something, that is the Word of God, and that is true. Now, that is not based merely on some predilection on my part or those that believe, but it is based upon evidence. God gives evidence whereby we may know that the Scriptures are indeed the Word of God, evidence which has con convinced uh, hundreds of millions of people over the years. Now, when people say that there are no absolutes, they are also saying that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. Because as God the Son, He Himself is absolute. He is without sin, without imperfection. He was the altogether perfect one. So keep in mind that whenever a person says there are no absolutes, they are saying there is no God, the Bible is not the Word of God, and Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. And I think that we need to see that that is quite a lot of transporting the truths from physics into the realm of religion and morality. Now, with relativistic morals, there also comes subjectivism. And uh, there is no objective standard outside. And now today we no longer talk about morals, we talk about values, a term that Nietzsche gave to us. And uh, values are simply anything that anyone chooses to place a value upon. And somehow we have come to the place of believing that every person has some authority to, to decide whatever is good or bad for him, whatever is right or wrong, whatever is of value and what is not of value. One person says, we don't live our lives relativistically. If you're waiting in your car at a train crossing and there's a train, huge train coming at 60 miles an hour, you know that if you get your car out in front of that train, you know that you're not going to be relatively dead. <laughs> you're going to be absolutely dead. We can't live by that. And numerous social critics and philosophers and social scientists are saying that it is this view of moral relativism that is absolutely causing the morality of this nation to crumble before our eyes. Now, sad to say that uh, many people who have rejected the uh, scriptural truth have not done it for the reasons that sometimes people think that they have. For example, Nietzsche rejected uh, the scriptures, he rejected Christianity, he hated religion, and he hated Christianity in particular. And he is, of course, the one who said, God is dead. 
You know, the amazing thing is that millions of people believed him. He never proved it. He just asseverated it. It's one thing to declare something. It's another thing to prove it. Somebody wrote upon a building in graffiti. It said, God is dead, Nietzsche. Someone else came along and wrote, Nietzsche is dead, God. <laughs> It's better to debate an issue before settling it, said one philosopher, than settling an issue before debating it. And that's exactly what Nietzsche did. Oh, my friends, God is not dead, and that has never been proved. But those who have come to know him have come to know that he's very much alive. And you know, life without meaning that's the reason so many college students commit suicide today, because life has been robbed of all of its meaning and significance. And if, if all there is at the end is a pile of ashes and a skull, that's just not going to suffice, because the soul is going to peek out around today after tomorrow and desire some assurance of a continuing existence and a better and finer world. God has placed immortality within the heart of men. And we can't get around it. There are those who have denied it. But what do they have? What is their lives? What are their lives like? The most militant atheist and skeptic of the first quarter of this century was Robert Ingersoll, a brilliant and very eloquent man. He spent his life going around lecturing against God, Christianity, and the Bible. And then his brother died. What do you do if you're an atheist and a relative dies? You can hardly call clergymen. So he said that he would preach the funeral. And so at the graveside, he preached the funeral oration. And this is what he said. This is what Robert Ingersoll said, and this is what life without God, without Christ, without hope is really like. And he said it most eloquently. Whether in mid-sea or amidst the breakers on the farther shore, a wreck must mark at last the end of each and all, and every life no matter whether every hour was filled with joy and every moment jeweled with love, must at its end become a tragedy as deep and as dark as can be woven out of the warp and woof of mystery and death. Life is a narrow veil between, between twin peaks of eternity. We strive in vain to look beyond the heights. We cry aloud. And the only answer is the echo of our wailing cry. The most eloquent, original, imaginative, persuasive advocate of atheism that ever lived was no doubt Nietzsche. He fashioned the 20th century. To him can be attributed 
the life movements of Hitler, Mussolini, Lenin, Stalin. God is dead, and the blood will flow in the next century, he said prophetically. But he spent the last 11 years of his life as a raving madman, totally insane. Life cannot be lived without meaning and hope. As a young man, I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. I lived to be 24 without ever knowing it. But I heard of this incredible love of one that loved me so much as to be willing to come down from glory and go to a shameful cross, to hang naked upon that agonizing tree, and there to have imputed by his father my guilt upon him and to take in my place the penalty for sin that I condignly deserve to take myself. That he endured, we cannot know, we cannot understand the pains that he had to bear, but I believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. I know that I have been cleansed and given a great and glorious per passion for this world and a purpose for this world, that I should indeed proclaim the glorious glad tidings that God loves sinners and is willing to accept them as they are, if they will repent of their sins and place their trust in the divine Son of God who so loved them and so suffered in their place. And dear friend, I saw that love that night as I was seated alone in my apartment after having lived a very profligate life where God and Christ had no place in my life. And I want you to know that my heart melted before that love and I slipped out of that easy chair onto my knees for the first time in my adult life. And I said, oh God, I didn't know. I didn't know. Forgive me. Forgive me. I didn't see any angels. I heard no angelic choirs. But I stood up from that prayer, a different man. The next morning, while I was shaving, I remember the thought came into my mind, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, declares that I am going to live with him in paradise forever. And a chill went right down my spine. And that, my dear friends, is the greatest absolute I have ever learned. And if you have not experienced it, if you have not claimed it, God invites you to come to him and receive the free gift of everlasting life. May we pray.
O God, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. And there are some here tonight, Lord, whose hearts are just that way. They have sought fulfillment, as Augustine did, in learning, in education, in knowledge, but that God-shaped blank within their hearts has not been filled. Lord, I pray that right now you will enable them, as so many have done before, to say, O oh Christ, I surrender my life to you. I know I'm a sinner. Underneath all of the pretensions, I know that I have done many things that I am ashamed of. How must you, the all-holy God, look upon them? And yet, amazing to say, you are willing to wash me whiter than snow, to forgive me, to cleanse me, and to accept me as your child now and evermore. And when the stars have burnt into cinders and this universe has collapsed, I will still be with you and will only have just begun to live with you forever. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God, I pray. Amen.